kind of interesting. The song we just sang comes out of Hillsong Church in Australia. And uh, it has not weathered well in the last couple of years. It's kind of fallen off the tracks in many places. Indeed, uh, they closed at least one church in the Dallas area, closed another one in New York, and they're having difficulty in their big congregation. Not quite sure why, but uh, it happens to churches. They kind of get off the track. Well, today we're going to start this new series um, on the book of Revelation. Today we've already heard the scripture read by our good friend Lair. Uh, the title of the message is, uh, When Jesus Comes to Church. I've got to tell you that uh, there are very few things that make me really nervous. But one of the things that does make me nervous is uh, when someone comes up to me and says, Hey, Pastor, I visited your church last Sunday and... It's what comes after the end that makes me a little bit nervous. But what if Jesus actually showed up here at Restore? What would he have to say to us? Now, when somebody say, well, hold up, let's talk about what he did with the Ephesians before. He, no, we, are, we can be the Ephesians as well. But what would he say to us? Would he be impressed by what impresses us here at Restore? Uh, would he comment on this? magnificent edifice that we worship in, this building. Uh, would he mention the size of the gathering? Would he count and say, no, I don't know, it should be whatever. Uh, would he notice how much money gets collected? Uh, would he feel like an outsider? Would he not quite sure whether he fit in? Well, thankfully, we're not uh, left at... Uh, wonder about these questions, because starting today with this seven-part series on the letters to the churches of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3, uh, in these seven letters, our Lord pays a pastoral visit to uh, seven different first-century local churches. And you'll see a map uh, on the screen of where this is. Uh, and, and in each of these cases, he's going to tailor a specific message to that congregation at that particular moment in history. Now, these are all actual churches in Asia Minor. And if you don't know where Asia Minor is, it is modern-day Turkey. And uh, uh, this is an area that was uh, struggling with a certain amount of persecution. Uh, there was a temptation to moral and spiritual compromise, which should sound somewhat familiar because churches today are uh, kind of facing a certain amount of persecution, maybe not so much in Taney County, but I know it's in places... Where I serve in India, I know it's happening. I got a, met, a note the other day from a young man down in prison who said things have not been going well down here in the churches. I work from back there. He said, if we're happy you're coming back, the sooner the better. Well, sometimes churches are tempted to compromise. Now, though almost 2,000 years separate us from this church we're going to take a look at today, uh, their issues are not a whole lot different than what we experience right here in, I'd say, River City, but it's actually Lake City. Uh, as we go through these seven letters, prayerfully, we will see ourselves individually, and I hope that we also see ourselves as this group that we call Restore, and hope we see each other in this place in a whole new light. And, and you know, I've had people say, well, why, why go back and, why Revelation is such a weird book? 
Well, the more I thought about it, and as I was planning a message series, I thought, we really need this series because it's very tempting for a local church uh, to think that as long as they are busy and the doors are open, everything's okay. Now, I've had plenty of time to think about this because I have literally spent my entire life in the church. I was raised by my grandpa, whose job was what? Janitor for the church, the school, and the parish hall. I hung up hymn boards. I put the hymns on the things. I vacuumed the rice up after the weddings. I love that because I love the sound it makes when you vacuum up rice. Uh, I was always in the church. I knew the pastors. I hung out with the pastors. I don't know anything other than church growing up. And then I started out my, my life as a teacher for many years in Christian schools. And now for the last 38 years of my life, I've been a pastor in Illinois and Texas and in Missouri. And I've had a lot of great memories when I look back at my life in the church and not too many regrets. Uh, but I do remember many times I've wondered, particularly as I pastored churches, how are we really doing? How are we really doing? Now, it's kind of hard to know the answer to that question when you're kind of in the trenches. Uh, we tend to figure out our answer by numbers. It's what uh, pastors sometimes call uh, counting nickels and noses. How many noses were there in the seats? How many nickels were in the offering box? And, and while those things matter, I'm not, I'm not underestimating that. I mean, because knowing how many people you got and whether you're able to keep your church afloat financially is great. But let's be honest. A lot of people vote with their pocketbook. A lot of people vote with their feet uh, every Sunday. It, we often measure our churches that way. And I got bad news for you. Jesus doesn't measure it that way. So what is Jesus actually looking for when he comes? Well, these letters that we're going to look at, we're going to look at seven of them, uh, kind of provide a very important answer. Now, this first letter goes to that church in Ephesus. You see where it is located up there. It's a major port city on the Aegean Sea. And in many ways, it was Asia's marketplace. It was also the home for the Temple of Artemis, which is also called the Temple of Diana. In other words, there was a pagan worship place, a really large one in their city. In fact, the Temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So it must have been pretty spectacular in that day and age. There are three different roads. We didn't put the highways byways up out there, but there are like three different major highways there that made it a kind of a gateway to everything else in the east. Uh, it was a fantastic cosmopolitan center. It was a place where Paul spent. Aha! Who founded the church in Ephesus? Paul did. He spent two years there starting that church. You go back and read about that in Acts chapter 19. And later, he actually wrote a whole book of the Bible. To who? To the Ephesians. And over the years, the church had been taught not only by Paul. He was their first pastor. Their second pastor was Apollos. Their third pastor was Timothy. And their fourth pastor was John, who is now kind of nailing their hide to the wall here in the book of Revelation. I mean, no church in the first century had as many great pastors, one after the other, as the church at Ephesus. Wow. And now what happens here as we start? The letter opens with a reminder that Jesus is qualified to write because, verse 1, 
He holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. Now, what on earth is going on here? I'm already lost. I'm only a few verses in the book of Revelation. Well, the seven stars are the angels of the churches. And it almost seems as if that John is talking about how God has, you know, like angels guarding churches. But sometimes it could even refer to pastors. That we've got these pastors who have been placed in these key places. And the lampstands are actually the church. So if you think about this, you know, we are a missional church and, and this is our, you know, we are, uh, we are the angels. Of, we got angels watching over us. You've got somebody planted in here uh, to help deal with it. Now, there was a lot, much to commend this church at Ephesus. This is really a great church. In verse 2, you heard Larry read it. He said, I know your deeds. I, I know the good stuff you guys do. I tell you, it warms my heart as I run into people and they... They've actually heard about us. That kind of surprises me from time to time. They actually know, well, yeah. Uh, and, and they are they're very complimentary. Uh, I know your deeds. I, I get uh, Facebook messages and sometimes other messages online because uh, from people at White River. They, they make comments on our Facebook page for Restore. I get them on my own line and, and they're, they're very thankful um, we know your deeds. We know you come and you help us, which is really great. Um, but there was much to say good about this place. Hardworking, uh, service-oriented congregation. Uh, they were really eager to serve the Lord with all kinds of things, events, programs, meetings, a whole variety of outreaches, but that's not all. Uh, in verse 2, it says they didn't tolerate false teaching. They didn't tolerate false teachers at all. Now, today, if we're honest, you look at the churches across America and around the world, it's much more uh, politically correct to keep your mouth shut, uh, to keep your negative views to yourself. Uh, The church at Ephesus evidently didn't (laughs) fall into that problem. Uh, They they tried the false prophets that rose up in their church, and then they threw them out. Uh, They kicked out bad people that were in their church. Uh, they also rejected the teachings, you maybe caught this in here, the, the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Well, you got to go, well, who are these folks? Well, the Nicolaitans uh, were kind of a strange little sect in the early church that taught that freedom in Christ uh, meant that you had the freedom to sin without any punishment. That'd make a nice religion, wouldn't it? Do whatever you want, there's no punishment for this. Well, the Nicolaitans wanted the church to be what I would call religiously um, pluralistic. Uh, y'all come. We'll take anybody and everybody who comes. Now, that's not a bad idea in a church. We, we, anybody can come. Anybody's welcome here. But they did this by trying to hook up with surrounding pagan practices. Uh, they were the ones who compromised on sexual purity, for example. Uh, they, they would say, my body is my own I can do with it whatever I want, and I can still be in good standing with God. I can change sexes, I can change partners, I can change all kinds of stuff, and God is still okie-dokie with me. Well, evidently, from the book of Revelations, God is not all that (laughs) okie-dokie with these people. And uh, I hope you notice that Jesus actually says he hates the doctrines of the Nicolaitans. Did you catch that? He hates. That's a very strong word. 
and so did the Ephesians, to their credit, initially. And as a result, they endured persecution from the Nicolaitans, from the other pagan religions, uh, but they had not grown weary. They were battling. And as a result, the church in Ephesus had many, many enemies. But we have to say, Ephesus was really a pretty great church. It was hardworking. It was Bible-centered. It was courageous. Uh, it, it was filled with folks who could take the heat and never give up. Now, you'd say, well, who wouldn't want to be a part of a church like that? I'd say, I, I love to pastor a church like that. Then there's this great Bible word, but. <laughs> you could do a whole sermon series just on but, dot, dot, dot. But there's always more, because when Jesus looks at a church, when Jesus looks at restore, he peers beneath the surface to see the underlying reality. And in this case, all of the good the church was doing was overshadowed by a really sad reality. Did you catch verse 4? Verse 4 said that they had left their what? Their first love. In other words, they didn't love Jesus very much at all. Somehow, in the midst of all of their godly busyness, and standing for the truth, somehow, somewhere, they kind of left Jesus out of the church. I'd ask you this question this morning. Is that possible in a church? Does the church be so, so big that Jesus is not there? Well, it must be, because that's what happened in Ephesus. And here's the sad part. Jesus knew it. Jesus knew they didn't love him. Now, maybe John... When he wrote Revelation, you know, he was in his 90s when he's writing this book. He's getting old. Maybe he was reflecting on a time when Jesus said to another disciple by the name of Peter, uh, Peter, do you love me? And he asked that question three times. You can go back and read that in John chapter 21. Um, and Peter, embarrassed by that question, Peter, do you love me? Well, Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. I love you. But what happened to Peter can happen to us. It's pretty easy to substitute knowledge for a warm heart. Peter said, well, you know it. But then here, obviously, he didn't at that time. How quickly we justify our hard hearts by pointing to all of our well-intentioned religiosity. In my reading of the Apostolic Commentary on Christian Scriptures, um, I should have put the guy's name down, but it was written back in about the year uh, 120. So it's about another 30 years after Revelation was, wrote, uh, was written. And this quote caught my eye. It says, we can lose Christ by distraction as easily as by denial. Let me say that again. We can lose Christ by distraction as easily as by denial. And I think that's what happened in Ephesus. I think that's what happens in many churches today. They get distracted from Jesus, and in the process, they lose him. But see, Jesus is not going to be fooled by this. In verse 5, he gives a very challenging prescription. How do, you, how do you keep this nonsense from happening? Well, I think I've got them up on the screen, maybe. It is to remember how it used to be. And then when you remember how it used to be, maybe you need to repent. And repent just means to acknowledge it and turn and go back the other direction. Repent, change your mind, change your heart, and then to repeat your first works. I mean, Jesus showed up at church at Ephesus. That would be his sermon. That would be his outline to those folks. Uh, 
And I think that's eminently sensible prescription because it assumes a very important spiritual truth. And that's that you don't regain your first love overnight. I've dealt with a lot of couples in my life. And even as a married person, I understand this to a certain extent. You ask any couple, they don't care who it is, any couple that's gone through a marital crisis, you can put in whatever you want in that marital crisis, whatever that may have been, a marriage does not deteriorate overnight. It doesn't just happen. And it's not just restored overnight. Healing always takes time. And so it is in the spiritual realm. Uh, and it all begins with a good memory. And the good memory here is remember. Remember, that's what he says. Remember the height from which you have fallen. And pondering what you once had is good. I mean, you remember something that was really good at one time. That's okay, but only what? If it leads you to some practical action. Uh, I have met with any number of people over my 38 years as a pastor uh, who are struggling spiritually. And uh, I learned uh, some simple little things along the way. And this is going to sound pretty simple. It's going to probably sound pretty stupid, actually. Uh, but I've told people struggling spiritually that if you keep on walking in the right direction, sooner or later, you're going to get there. Uh, you're going to get out of the darkness. You're going to walk back into the light. Uh, but in this day and age of um, instant everything, uh, we want the quick fix that will instantly make everything right. We're kind of like the church at the Band-Aid. I'll just slap something on there. Okay, move on. And the words of Jesus reminds us that while healing is possible, I mean, you can heal a broken church. Been there, helped do that. Trying to straighten out some things that had gone off the rails. But it begins in the heart. It begins in the mind. Maybe you remember a story, I think it's in John chapter 5, Jesus finds a guy who had been uh, crippled for 38 years. And he asked this really weird question. Anybody remember what that question was? Do you want to be healed? I was like, oh, come on, Jesus. What's the matter with you? I mean, if I'd have been the guy that go, duh. <laughs> I mean, why would he ask that? I think Jesus was probing the depth of this guy's will. And he was saying, do you really want to be healed? Do you want, really want to be healed? And if the answer is yes, then the miracle is going to take place. I mean, the guy said, yeah. And if no, then Jesus is not going to heal you. See, we all face the same challenge today. Uh, individually, collectively, as a place called Restore. You know, we can get so comfortable uh, where we are that we don't want to change. And if so, if the church doesn't want to change, guess what? Jesus says, it's pretty stern here, I don't want anything to do with you guys. But if we continually feel that stirring of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives, then we're going to do what Jesus prescribes in Revelation chapter 2. And I think I put three of them up here on the screen, three things to think about. Uh, maybe I didn't. Well, we're going to ponder our uh, ponder our past blessings. Now we don't have much past. I mean, we started in a February, so we got March, April, May, June. So we're what? We're only 16 months old. But ponder our past blessings. How has God blessed us as a congregation in the last 16 months? 
How has God blessed you, whether as an individual or as a couple or your neighborhood? Or how has he blessed you? And the third one, the second one is to repent. Because sometimes you go to say, oh, man, we really screwed up there. We need to repent. Uh, we need to repent our self-centered living because we can be, was it, little Jack Horner sat in the corner, you know, what a good little boy am I. What a good little church we are. We, we, work, we work at camp twice a month. We can become a little bit self-centered. And then we're going to do the first works again. I don't know if you remember the very first time that Christianity just clicked in your heart. Now, I can tell you, I've been a Christian my entire life. I mean, I was baptized in Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Wheat Ridge, Colorado, umpteen years ago, back in the Stone Age. Uh, I just don't know anything other than being a member of a church. But I can still remember times in my life where I kind of went, yeah, yeah. I remember walking outside after a Christmas Eve service. And I went outside and I stood there and I could actually see stars in the sky, but snow was falling. And I said to myself, this is really real. I still remember that. There have been worship services that I've been involved in, in churches I've pastored, churches I've attended, mission congregations, times at prison where you just kind of go, oh, man. The spirit was moving so heavily that you looked for feathers afterwards to see whether the Holy Spirit had fluttered all the way through. Do those first works again to get back to how it used to be. And I find it fascinating that Jesus says here through John, go back to your first works, but then he doesn't tell us what those works are. As I fold it, Jesus, could you spell out about six or seven of them so we can follow them legalistically? Uh, I think it's tempting uh, for a pastor here, and I'm going to resist the temptation and that is because Jesus doesn't give you a list of stuff. It's tempting for the pastor to give you a list of stuff for you guys to do. Um, uh, like, well, I mean, I can rattle. Okay. You folks need to uh, read your Bibles more. You folks need to pray more. You people need to show up and worship more. You people need to cough it up, you know, dig deep. And I've been in churches where I've been beaten like that. I kind of like, <laughs> I didn't feel really good about it. But Jesus sums the entire thing up in just uh, two sentences. If you want to know what the first works would be, uh, go back and read Matthew 22, where it says, uh, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Part of me says that's exactly what Restore is doing. We gather here to love God with all of our heart. We sing praises. And then we go out and we love our neighbors as best as we can with all of our heart. Now, I've often told unhappy couples, uh, act as if you love your spouse even when you don't feel like it. That's kind of a weird way of putting it. Uh, Why? It's because sometimes it's easier to act your way into a new way of feeling than it is to feel your way into a new way of acting. That's my only rationale for some stupid comment like that. Uh, But the lampstand represents God's approval on a church. God's hand is on church. I think you've all been in church and you just meant that God's hand is on this place. God is working mightily in this place. God is working in the people in this place. You've probably all been to a church service or a worship place sometime over the years. You go, well, that was interesting. I wonder where God was today. Well, maybe God took a vacation today. Uh, 
Well, let me ask you a question that I actually, I have no answer to this question, so that's why I'm asking you. Uh, how does a church know when its lampstand has been removed? Now, my guess is the church would probably never know it because nothing would change. I mean, God could take his hand off of this place and everything would continue as usual. I'd stand up here and yap for 15, 20, 25 minutes. Mary Evelyn would stand up and we'd all sing songs. The lights would be on. Uh, The air conditioning would be running. Sound system and the visuals would keep popping up on the screen. Uh, Meetings would happen. Uh, Offerings would be given. And God wouldn't be there. That's how we could lose it. It would be religion without reality. It would be preaching without power. It would be a church without Christ. That's how you lose your lampstand. That's a sad fact that the church of Ephesus eventually ceased to exist. Imagine four of the greatest pastors, Bible teachers in the world, and that church died. But maybe it's better that they did rather than to continue being a church where Jesus isn't there. So, the question is, are we listening to what God is saying? I've been through this so often, I keep asking myself, Barry, are you listening to what you're going to preach about? Are you listening to what this says? I also ask you, you can respond any way, like, I'm never coming back and get beat up like I got today, or (laughs) whatever. I'm not trying to do that, but... You know, we need to ask those questions. Are we, are we, do we have ears to hear? Um, and that's something that's repeated at the end of each of these seven churches. Uh, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, sometimes we all get distracted by the world. All you have to do is watch news all the time. You get pretty distracted from the purpose that God has in store for you or as a church. You hear all the bad stuff and you can either start condemning it and criticizing it and railing against it. Or you can say, I know that that's right, that's wrong. I'm going to pray against it and I'm going to do what I can to restore Jesus in my own circle. Um, The Christian faith is really a a faith of the ears. Uh, It's hearing the word of the Lord. And the question is, is God speaking to you regularly? And if he is, are you also listening to what he has to say? See, the message to the church at Ephesus ends with this promise in verse 7. I give, I'll give the right to eat from, if you do these good things, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Now, paradise, I mean, I've asked people, what's paradise going to be like? I said, all I know, I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm not even worried about the rest of it. Well, will I see Ed there. I don't know. I'm, I pray Ed's up there and Ed's enjoying himself too. You know, will, will, will my wife be there too? Well, I know she's a person of faith. Sure. But the best thing of all is what? Not to have your cane. And you're just in the presence of Jesus. I mean, that's what it means. I mean, paradise is what you're going to experience just like that. And the reason I can say it's just like that, because in Luke chapter 23, I think when Jesus was hanging on the cross and that one guy hanging next to him said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did Jesus say? Verily, verily, I say unto you today, you will be with me in 
paradise. See, if we're, being, if we're faithful in life, and I don't want us to think that we're being faithful as to earn God's grace, because God's grace and mercy is there ahead of that. It's his love that motivates us to do these things, not the other way around. Don't get that confused. I'm not going to do all these good works so God loves me anymore. No, God loves me so much, I can't even begin to understand that. And so as a result of that, it's his love. What's my response? What's your response? See, no one really knows or can say exactly what all of this stuff means about being faithful. But in that day, we will never regret having followed the Lord. And I think probably somewhere, I don't know if I got these on, if we love him here, we will love him more there. That's kind of hard to believe. We sing songs like that. I love you, Lord. I lift my... And that's a cool thing. But we're going to love that even more someday as we remain faithful. If we rejoice here. And some people say, well, how can I rejoice when I haven't rejoiced yet? Well, uh, you can learn how to do that. You're going to rejoice even more up there. Every one of these things ends up with the same statement at the end. And this is how I'm going to end today's message. He who has an ear, let him hear.